Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Morning, everybody. Uh, uh, most many of you know, my dad had a chicken business as I grew up, so uh, turkey bologna sandwich. That was my sandwich in middle school. And I couldn't hustle that anywhere, probably. No, no one wanted the turkey bologna sandwich. Uh, I'm Gary, I'm on staff here. Grab your message notes. We're in an amazing series on Nehemiah. And we're actually going where few churches go. So most churches uh, and the three most popular books on the book of Nehemiah uh, stop at chapter six uh, because it's restore, renew, rebuild. The walls have been rebuilt and that's kind of where it ends. But the good part of Nehemiah is, and the much more challenging part is the heart restoration business. And that's the back end of Nehemiah and that's where we are. And what we're gonna see in the next two weeks, this is kind of a two week mini uh, series within Nehemiah. You're gonna see some amazing things. You're gonna see the first recorded revival in the Bible. Uh, and if you're not familiar with that term, if you're not familiar with what that means, revival is a term in English that comes from Latin, which just means to live again, revive. And it's so important. And if you have your ear tuned, if you are in our circles, you will hear a lot of talk about that. I'm going to quote some uh, famous people talking about that. But at Billy Graham's memorial, you heard his daughter talking about we're in need of a revival again. Uh, people to live again. Uh, it's not a bad thing. It's a really good thing. And actually, we are living in the only metropolitan area in America that within our history as a country has never been touched by a revival. Uh, and so it's really important that we take to heart what we're going to see. So the first recorded revival, and then you know what happens? You're going to see in chapter 9, the longest recorded prayer in the Bible. So for all you Christian or biblical trivia people, it's in Nehemiah 9. And so important, so important. So that's what's coming in the next two weeks as we talk about that. There are some essential elements that are common to all revivals in all of history. Those recorded in the scriptures, those recorded in history. There have been two great awakenings in our country's history that have swept most of the land. And there's been awakenings and revivals in uh, other lands. And they all, whether it's Africa, Southern Hemisphere, Atmosphere, east, west, they all have certain elements that are in common. We're going to learn those elements here. And I think it's very important for where we are. And here's why. We're going to address the following. And I'll have a question that kind of uh, concisely puts it. But I really want you to take to heart this. What do you do when you come to an understanding that you're not where you want to be spiritually? When you realize, my goodness, I prayed a prayer, but maybe there's more to Jesus than praying a prayer and moving on with my life. My character isn't growing like it should. The relationships that matter to me aren't developing uh, like they should. My hope quotient isn't growing. The fruit, uh, what we call the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's just not at the levels I think it should be as a follower of Christ. And I don't even know what to do with that. What do you do in situations like this? We're going to talk about that in the next two weeks. Revival, personally, corporately, is desperately needed. And then you look at a, an awakening is the term used in our land. You know as well as I do. My goodness, we live in one of the most technologically advanced places in the world. One of the wealthiest places in the world. One of the most advanced biomedically 
talking places in the world, and all that's good. But it's not really cutting to the heart and changing the human heart. Uh, If we're in such a great place and we are, why aren't the deepest needs of people being fulfilled? With all our advancement as a culture, just ask, okay? I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just asking. Why so much relational pain? With all our advancement as a culture, why is there so much angst in the air? On social media and other places. Why is there such a great socioeconomic divide in our own peninsula? Why is there so much prejudice and racism that still abounds in our country if we're so advanced? Why does my nine-year-old daughter on Monday in third grade at our public elementary school have to have a lockdown drill? See, the heart of the matter is really a matter of the heart. And I'm not down, trust me, I'm not some Luddite who's anti-technology and anti, I'm not down on that. But what I'm saying is it has a place and hearts aren't changing. What we're gonna talk about in the next two weeks are how does heart change come about? What is my responsibility? What is God's responsibility? Because what we're gonna see in here is a people that come together for one reason and God completely uh, usurps their agenda and brings about a whole nother thing and a whole different kind of awakening for them. It's awesome. It's awesome. You're in a good place, okay? Let me give you a little bit of history, and then we're going to dive into some of these elements. I'm not going to get to all four elements today, uh, so we're just going to go as far as we can, and then pick it up next week and keep going. You okay with that? Okay. Um, Israel's been living in rubble for 150 years, and their, their city was decimated, their main city, Jerusalem, and the temple, that place of worship, was decimated, and they just lived in that. And why that's important is, I know in my life, I can get used to the rubble and call that normal. And that rubble speaks to me louder than God's word or God's people or, um, or the spirit of God in me. It seems like the rubble speaks loudest, right? Do you know, am I making sense there? So for 150 years, they are saying that mirrors my life, rubble. Walls are broken down, communities broken down, we're being ransacked, we are open to the enemy. I guess just just how it is to be a people of God. And they're used to it. Enter Ezra. Now that's a new name, but if you see in your table of contents, that's the book that precedes the book of Nehemiah. In the original Hebrew Bible, it was one book. Ezra and Nehemiah was just one book. 14 years before our main character, Nehemiah, Ezra came on the scene. And he rallied the people together, okay, for the first time in uh, well over 100 years. And look what he says in Ezra chapter 10, verse 11. He says, honor the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do his will. I just see him standing on this rubble saying, come on, we can do this. You have a fresh voice finally. Separate yourselves from the people around you. And you know what happened? (laughs) Nothing. The people believed the rubble more than they believed the priest. They looked at their circumstances. I I so relate to this, because they were in their everyday world, and they said, hey, that's a great speech. Wow, you raised my hopes. But the reality is, the rubble speaks louder. I've got a Monday to Friday world that I I don't even know where to begin with what you say. And I understand that many times you come here on a Sunday, and that's the tension we live in as pastors. 
we know that, that we all live in a real world. So then, 14 years later, Nehemiah comes. We've been in this book since January, and he rallies the people, and God does a miracle. In 52 days, something's done that hasn't been done for 150 years, a two and a half mile long, uh, 40 foot high, eight foot wide wall is built in 52 days. And the people celebrate. And then here we are in chapter eight, all the people gather around a, uh, the water gate. This is the original water gate story. Uh, and Nehemiah says, you know what? This wall is great, but it was a means to a greater end. It's not about the wall. It's not about the buildings. It's about a spiritual renewal. And so Nehemiah says, I've engineered us to this point. He's humble enough to know the, 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 the limits of his strengths. He says, let me introduce you to the next engineer, a spiritual engineer. I want to welcome Ezra back up to the stand. And you can picture this old man, Ezra's really old at this point, getting up. And Ezra, it's, it's just, it's almost unthinkable. He takes the Torah scroll uh, back in that day, they didn't have a, a Bible and a book, or certainly not on a smartphone. And he opens it up. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. And he just starts reading in Hebrew. These people had lost their Hebrew language. They, for 150 years, they had so been infiltrated by foreigners, many lost their Hebrew language. They were about to lose their culture. I, I think I've said this before, but this wall doesn't get built these people don't get restored. The Jewish race is gone, and there's not a gate or a wall or an identity for the Messiah to enter into. So much is on the line. Does that make sense? So he reads, and here's what happens. It's, I'm telling you, it's almost unthinkable. The people stand up, and then they start crying. It's just the word of God being read over them. And then worship breaks out. And then as they're seeing the character of God like never before, they confess, which just means to agree with. They confess, God, we have strayed. This is on us. We have not kept your word. We are so sorry. And confession breaks out. This goes on. The first part, the reading, six hours. Then they break out and worship six more hours. This is not natural. And we're not going to do that today, by the way. <laughs> this is not natural at all. But there's some elements that were there in Nehemiah 8 to 10 that um, have been uh, in every revival recorded in the Bible and in human history since. It's not like we can conjure up a revival, but we can set our sails for revival winds to catch and take us somewhere. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? And maybe you're sitting here and going, gosh, why are you so into revival? I've got an illustration for you. Imagine you're in North Beach, land of my people, right? Uh, in San Francisco, and it's late at night. Let's just say it's 2 a.m. And you leave somewhere, let's say you're leaving a friend's house, and you're walking down a back alley, and these three big Italian guys are walking in the back alley towards you at 2 a.m., laughing loudly. If you don't think revival matters, which would you rather them leaving, an Italian bar or an Italian revival prayer meeting? I know what I would pick, right? This really matters, friends. 
this really matters. Because this church, at the end of the day, it's not about the building or the 14 and a half acres or a swim tennis and fitness club. It's not about a great grand piano or any instrument up here. It's not about a pulpit or any one person. It's about you and us being the people of God. We are what makes PCC great, okay? So let's look. Here's the first indispensable element of spiritual renewal. Here's the first one. They got serious about community. This may be the only one we get through, but it's important. They got serious about community. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as what? One. Now, we've already built a case for how diverse this Israelite community is, right? They were diverse in gender. They were diverse socioeconomically. Remember Nehemiah chapter 5? And all that was going on, you had nobles, you had poor people, and you had high interest rates. Remember that story and that part of it? They were diverse ethnically. You had different people with walls down that came into the community. So much diversity. Yet, there was a greater cause that made all the diversity fall away. It wasn't discounted, but there was a greater cause that brought a unity. And we're going to see that in a minute. Really important. Uh, Rick Warren, does that name ring a bell? He's a pastor in Southern California. He was speaking at uh, this last week at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And he talked about the importance of racial unity and was confessing that at the NRB, a national convention. He said, we don't talk about this much. Pointing out, he said, in the first five chapters of the book of Acts, the word one is used ten times. They were in one place, they were of one accord, they were of one heart, they had one purpose, they had one vision. And then he said this, this really struck me. When we have the unity of the book of Acts, we'll have the power of the book of Acts. I don't want to move beyond this because it's so important. There is so much in our church that beautifully makes up a mosaic. We are different in gender. We are different in political ideology, almost right down the center, red, blue. Uh, We are different in socioeconomic class. Not that different racially or ethnically yet. But we've got to come together around one thing and one thing only, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is hope and new life in him. Uh, And that's what will bring us together because our city is so divided They need the people of God to be the people of God, come together as one to bring about in a picture of what we could be in the city. So important, okay? So they gathered on the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel, okay? And I told you again, that is their Bible. They haven't read it in over 100 years, And you see what takes place in a community when you neglect God's word. I I don't need to look at the book of Nehemiah. I see in my own life. When I devalue the role of the word in my life, my character drops. Relationships drops. My internal dialogue is not honoring to God. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law, that's the first five books, before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. They committed to community. I've said this before. Our call to Christ is a call to community. You can't do this Christian thing alone. And my question is, who is it 
that's committed to you? Who is it that you're committed to when it comes to walking with Christ? Look at this New Testament uh, verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. It says, let us consider. Now stop right there. Friends, that's a thinking term. That's saying, don't go on emotion. Use your logic here. Following Christ engages the mind. Let us consider what? Let's consider how to spur one another on. The word there means to be, it's almost though the same word as provoke in a good way. Now, it's the opposite of what we're seeing in our culture. In our culture and on social media and in the airways, we are provoking each other towards evil, towards slander, towards visceral words, put-downs, towards the breaking of community over what divides us. But the author of Hebrews says this should be different in the church. We should provoke one another towards love and good deeds. We should not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Oh, no, no, no. We should encourage each other. That word encourage has a wide range from you can do it, okay, what we think of when it comes to encourage, all the way on the other end to I just want to speak sense into your life right now. Stop what you're doing. This is hurting you and those you love more than you realize. There's courage to encouragement, okay? So who is that for you and me? And then the author says, you got to do this all the more as you see the day approaching. I got a firsthand view of this yesterday. I was, um, my wife and I and family, we were cheering on our daughter. It's really fun when your daughter reaches an age. Uh, we have, well, I mean, at all age, we have respect, but at, at 26, our oldest daughter, she was running her first ultra marathon. And she had never done this before. And so uh, 31 miles in 33 degree weather, uh, racing an elevation total of 4,000 feet in this race. So we, we were there to cheer her on. So the first place where we can get to her is a trail uh, ultra. And so um, she crossed a highway at mile 11. So she gave us her split and she had a chip in. And so Ann and I were there on the highway as she's coming down and it's a downhill stretch. And you got to know my daughter. I mean, she's just, she's, she sees us. She's like, ah, it's only mile 11, right? She's like, ah. And she came by. She was so happy. I started crying. It was just beautiful. I'm not saying that to get it. Thank you for your awe, but yeah, it was, it was just beautiful. We're like, go in and go. And she was so energized. She's like, I can do this. You know, and we're like, you can do this. You know, and she trained so hard for this. And then off she went. It was, I will take it to my grave. It was one of my top five parenting moments in my life. Not because of what I did, just experience with your kids. And so off she goes and we're cheering other runners on. We get out of there and, and now she's in the wilderness and we're not going to see her for about four more hours. And, and so we go do our thing, and we're waiting. She has all that elevation to climb. And uh, sure enough, she makes it, comes in at, at six hours, and it was beautiful. We're cheering her on. I'm like, how was it? She goes, it was terrible. <laughs> I said, what was the hardest part? She goes, miles 18 to 29. And there were a lot of factors going on. I'm like, what did you do? And encouraging one another, she said, well, I called a bunch of my friends and had them call into my phone and leave voicemails for me. She said, Dad, when it got really hard, I just played those voicemails. 
and her friends passed it on and people were reading scripture over her. People were quoting Wonder Woman, her favorite movie over her. <laughs> but here's what she said, Joni Smith. She said, it was Jeff Smith's voice, Joan's husband, that was most in my head. She would even asked Jeff to call. But I think uh, Esther passed it on to her dad and Jeff called. She said, Dad, I replayed that voicemail time and time again, and it got me up the hills. Now, here's where this matters when it comes to encouragement, and here's how it spoke to me. I can relate not to running an ultra, but to a life feeling like an ultra, like circumstances beyond control. She ran that race in the midst of the biggest storm to hit of the year, on a very cold morning, it snowed, it hailed on her, all this. When life is adverse, can anyone else relate to that? Here's the question. Whose voice is in your head when that happens? Where do you point and where do you go when all around you seems like rubble and you feel like, I, I'm not going to make this race? I'm not going to be who God called me to be. I've worked so hard, I can't see the finish line. The Bible encourages us. We need each other. Amen. We can't do this alone. Yep. And when all you see is rubble, you need someone to speak truth into you beyond the rubble. And that's what happened. These people gathered at the water gate as one and then Nehemiah says, I'm going to introduce you to Ezra. Ezra reads the word, and you can see what happened. People are listening attentively, and they're going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And a different voice comes into their head. So don't miss this. It's the people, their voice gathered them together, and then the word of God's voice got into their head. You can see that in the next point. The word of God got into their head and they were cut to the heart. And they were saying, this is so good. I need this. It's all tied up in that word, amen, amen. They just kept repeating this, amen. And they stood up to their feet and for six hours let the word of God wash over them a truth that was greater than their sins and their blow-its and their rebels. So important. And what comes after that is they break out in worship. It's the natural response when you inhale the word of God and you inhale fellowship, your exhale will be worship. Look what it says in chapter 8, verse 6. And Tabitha, this is where you guys can start moving forward and get the band because we're going to practice this in a minute. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, amen, amen, and they lifted their hands. I don't think that was like provoked. I think it just came out of them. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord, faces to the ground. You know what worship does, men and women? It's like a, a magnifying uh, telescope. You know when you look through one of those telescopes? I think I have an image of that somewhere. But when you're looking at something that's very far away, suddenly becomes really big. I know with me, when I'm going through life, especially Monday through Saturday, God seems very far away. But it's through a practice of worship and word and community 
especially worship that brings God right into focus. You know what worship is, friends? It's just prayer where you don't ask for a thing. It's prayer when you tell God how great he is. When's the last time you came to God in prayer and said, I'm actually not here to ask for anything. I just want to tell you how great you are. And for many of you, you do that by faith. You don't say you're great because I got that raise, because he is, or you're great because I got that bonus, or you're great because of any circumstance. You worship by faith and say, even through all the rubble, I'm just here to tell you, you're still great. Circumstances don't declare who you are because you never change and you're not bound by circumstance. So you're seeing a progression here. The people gathered, there was a unity. The word went over them and the word got in their head. They brought that in and the exhale was a response of worship over God. We've been 23 minutes into this message and the word's been going over us. I wanna invite us to worship God for his character just to get a taste of how good that is. So let's worship now. Tasted of your glory, but there's so 
That's what worship is. It's inviting God to let heaven fall so that his character comes straight into your face and you see your circumstances through his character, through who he is. We see a people gathered together, coming together as one, making a commitment to unity. We see the word go over them. And you can see I highlighted in there in Nehemiah 8, 7 to 8, it became clear to them. It brought meaning to them. They understood what was being read. As they breathed in the word of God, the exhale was worship. God, you are great. God, you are amazing. God, you are great. On and on and on. And then they looked at their lives and the natural next step was confession. And I'm not putting these in sequences like in order. I'm not giving you a formula. I'm telling you though, every recorded revival in the Bible and in history has these components together. They looked at themselves and you can read the longest prayer in the Bible, Nehemiah chapter nine, read it tonight. They saw how far they stepped outside of God's boundaries and they confessed that. And, and what's amazing to me, look at this, it, it, Nehemiah 9, 37, it says this, because of our sins, they own it. They don't, they don't call it something different. Lord, we've blown it. We are in great distress. God, we see and have heard your character, your voices in our head through other people uh, called community and through your word and through worship. And oh my gosh, I have drifted so far away. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. When is the last time, I'm just asking this very humbly, that you've really been humble before God with sorrow over the state of your heart, over your actions that have hurt others? Not before people. This isn't a show. It's just you and God, and you're saying, I've drifted so far. I'm so sorry. I actually can't think of a better question to ask before we go to communion in a few minutes. And I want to give you some time for that, just for silent introspection. And don't beat yourself up, because that's what these people did. They beat themselves up, and, and Nehemiah had to step in and say, wait, wait, wait a second, stop. There's a God of grace. When you come to him with sorrow, he says, I forgive you. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength, not your beating yourself up. It's a forecast of what Jesus would do for us. He's all over the book of Nehemiah. So I want to invite you to spend some time as we wrap this up. I'm going to give you the time just to spend some time before the Lord silently and ask God, have I drifted? What is the condition of my heart? Would you forgive me? So Tabitha's going to play under us and give us that time, and I'm going to come up in a little bit and close us in prayer, okay? Let's go before the Lord. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for Sundays. I love Sundays. I love a new start, being with your people and being renewed in my mind with your character and your word and each other. But I also remember how far I've come, how far I've drifted. So in these next few minutes, Holy Spirit, would you speak over us? Bring to mind those areas that we need to confess, to agree with you. Help us call it what it is and hear your voice of forgiveness over us.
we're going to see next week, these people come out of this time with a whole new consecration, renewed, saying we want to be on the Lord's side. We want to do what God wants. We want to obey God. It's, it's phenomenal. And that's our hope for you every Sunday that we come out of this time refreshed and renewed because we've gotten the Lord's voice in our head through his word, through each other, through confession, and we leave renewed. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit and for your word. May we not just be hearers of it, but doers. I think of what another Old Testament prophet said, Lord Habakkuk. He said, Lord, we've heard of your fame and we know of your deeds. Renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. In your wrath, remember your mercy. God, we need renewal. We need rebuilding. We need a restoration. We need it personally. We need it corporately. Our peninsula needs it desperately. So start here, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Everyone said? Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.